Thank you for joining us for Opportunity Makers. Notch was founded by two immigrants, and ahead of National Immigrants Day, we wanted to showcase and profile storytellers and leaders across different sectors and industries to prove that immigrants, by and large, are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. Today, we have Raja Rajamanar with us, who is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and President of Healthcare Business at MasterCard. Raja is a transformative business leader with substantial senior management experience across different geographies around the world. He has managed large-scale businesses at Fortune 500 companies across financial services, CPG, and healthcare, including Unilever, Citigroup, Anthem, and now at MasterCard. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by a really special guest um, who I constantly think of as the fountain of wisdom on all things, whether it's marketing, uh, whether it's just human issues, whether it's advice for how to build my own company, etc. Every time I have a big question that deals with soul, heart, mind, market, opportunity, I tend to call Raja. So Raja, welcome. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Very kind of you and very, very generous of you. I think I should put you in front of my CEO just before the bonus time. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to. <laughs> um, so Raja, this series is really close to my heart um, because I'm an immigrant. And uh, I remember when we first met, we had a brief conversation about where we were each from and kind of our coming to America story. But I wanted everyone to hear how you got to the U.S. and why it was important for you to come here. Right. So firstly, you know, uh, I'm from India, as you can tell from my accent and looks, uh, which I'm proud of my heritage, absolutely. And I was fortunate to get a solid education in India. And the first few years I worked in India with uh, blue chip companies like Unilever, for example. And that's when I had an opportunity with a, a bank, Citibank, to join them in Dubai. So it was my first international opportunity to take up uh, employment there. And I thought about it and I said, it makes a lot of sense because I, in my mindset, I'm much more global. And if I can take my skills around the world and see the world, experience different cultures, experience different business models, that would be fantastic. So I moved to Citibank in Dubai. So over the period of 15 years, Citibank moved me from Dubai to London. Uh, where I was the head of Europe, Middle East, and Africa for all the consumer product, consumer assets. And then from there, they moved me to the U.S. So I came as the global head of business development at the time for the uh, payments business of Citibank. Uh, and then subsequently became the chairman and CEO of Diners Club North America, which was owned by Citibank in those days. And then I came back to be the head of the core credit cards for Citibank. So I spent 15 years. And I was also the global CMO uh, for their uh, payments and cards business, which was the biggest business in those days. So my coming to the U.S. has been facilitated by Citibank. And I was seen as a global executive who has multiple perspectives of both developing economies as well as developed economies. And then so I can bring in a good admixture of those perspectives, my basic knowledge and my uh, experience sets over the years that would be very valuable to the company. And the company headquarters happened to be in the US, so I came to the US. From my side, that was really a a wonderful opportunity too, because on the one hand, 
even as I was doing my engineering, one of my aspirations was it would be wonderful to go to the US because it was all spoken as a land of opportunity, meritocracy, uh, and uh, so and it was the quality of living was supposed to be fantastic, and all those were there. So US always had uh, an aspirational image in my mind as a destination that I would really love to go. And in my case, particularly because I consider myself more a global citizen, uh, and I left India very early, uh, you know, uh, almost like uh, uh, seven or eight years, even before I came to the US, I was traveling internationally, I was working internationally. So for me, it was a natural progression. And uh, th that, that was the scenario. And also from a, as a marketer, though that time when I came here, I was managing business P&Ls and not marketing, US was considered to be, for the population that it had, humongous amount of potential, intense amount of competition. It was at the cutting edge of everything. So if you can get cut your teeth on in this kind of a market, and if you succeed in this market, you can succeed anywhere else. So that was a perception, which I still think is largely true. And uh, so th this has been how my journey took me to the US. And uh, I have been here in the country since 2001. So it's now my 20th year in the country. I like what you said about the fact that as a global executive, you had familiarity with both developing countries and developed countries. And that was a really important prerequisite to the role. Um, how many of the global executives were, you know, quote unquote, immigrants? See, I would say that uh, a vast majority are immigrants. You know, if you look at from the U.S. population per se, because the market is so gigantic, they did not even have to look beyond the shores for many decades. Very few companies were really looking to you know, widely distribute themselves around the world and exploit potential in different parts of the world for many, many, many decades, right? It's only over the last probably 20, 30 years that the world has started becoming more global and companies started seeing opportunities to take the knowledge, technology, and everything from this country to other areas and then conquer those markets as well. So historically, if you see the number of global executives that have come out of the US to me is probably lesser than the number of executives who have been really in the international markets and then came to the US. Uh, and it, there's also another interesting thing, right? Which is if you are in a developed market like the US, intuitively, you don't understand what a common man or a woman in a country like India at the lowest rung of uh, the socioeconomic categories thinks, feels, and does. But if you have come from that background, it's a brilliant perspective that you can bring and it can complement to the learning and the perspective that prevails within the country. So once you get experience in these markets as well as the developing markets, then you are truly well-rounded. And, and I always value that. And I keep telling my team members, now, my team has got a number of people who have come from various international markets. And we find it incredibly valuable because MasterCard is also a global company. We operate in 110 countries. And these individuals, when they leave their homes, their countries, and they're coming here, they are, they're, they've got aspiration. They've got the drive. They've got the fire in the belly. They've got the work ethic. So they push themselves hard. They're not coming here to laze around and just enjoy the benefits of uh, you know, the uh, community and uh, the technology and everything else. That's also there, but that's a payoff. But they really want to prove themselves on the, in the, on the global platform. And they prove to be fantastic. And having said that, I've got a number of 
local, uh, you know, American citizens, you know, born and brought up here in this country, who are absolutely outstanding. And when they are interacting with the global people, that cross pollination of ideas and thoughts is fantastic. So we got a very, very good mixture of international and uh, domestic U.S. coming together to be truly global. You know what I'm curious about, because um, I realize we're both immigrants from developing countries, but there's immigration from developed countries into the U.S. as well. Do you think there's a difference between an immigrant from a developing country and an immigrant from a developed country when they get to the U.S. and they realize they don't really have a safety net? Like, what's different? A lot. <laughs> I can absolutely tell you that, right? I have got on my team in the U.S., for example, or even in the global people who came from the more developed countries in the US, in the in Europe, like from the UK, for example, or from Italy, or from France, they have come. And I also have got people who have come from a country like India, or they have come from uh, Far East, right? And there is a different appreciation, a different perspective. They have got different filters and different lenses through which they look at the world. And I, I think both are very valuable. You know, the key thing is if you look at the world population today, between India and China, they have got like more than what, 40% of the world's population? Yeah. Humongous, right? And if you combine it with Indonesia, Pakistan, and all these heavily populated countries, bulk of the world is there in those developing markets. The fastest growing markets are the developing markets. So as a company with global aspirations, unless you tap into those developing markets, whether it is Africa or Asia or wherever else it is, or Latin America for that matter, you, you will not be succeeding in this global platform eventually, mm. right? You have to tap into those. And people who are from those backgrounds, either by way of their upbringing in those markets or the experiences because they have worked in those markets. They might be from a developed country, but they have gained experiences in India or China, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, wherever it is, or Brazil, Mexico. These folks, when they come in, they bring in that beautiful international perspective, which so well complements the developed market perspective, like, for example, some things which come intuitively to people who have been in the developed markets are very different than those that come intuitively to people who come from the developing markets. Like some of the problems and challenges that a common man or a woman faces in a developing market is very difficult for somebody from the developed markets to comprehend. So why will it be so? Because it is so. <laughs> and you have seen it's that, that's how it works. Right, so I think the world needs a beautiful mixture of both these talents with multiple perspectives. You know, that's where when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's not just only about taking care of the downtrodden. It's about completing the whole. Mm -hmm. You need all, you know, that, that's what makes our entire, uh, you know, uh, what do you call, uh, the world as one, but the business, it becomes hugely successful when you're able to tap into every single possible opportunity around the world. So that's why I see it. Plus also, if you look at the future potential, I would say that bulk of the future growth is going to come from developing markets. So you cannot ignore those perspectives at all, far from it. Do you think that there will come a time when you'll say it's, you know, it's time that I go back to India because the growth is now in India? Uh, in my personal circumstance, no. Uh, I have decided to uh, stay and call this my home. I have taken the citizenship of the country about 10 years back. So I'm here for good. Uh, and in fact, my uh, kids, because they have been raised in this country, uh, at heart, 
and in behavior and in even accent with which they speak, it's 100% American. They find it very difficult to go and relate to their culture in India. They will find themselves thoroughly out of place there. So, and they look at this, America is our country and the other one is working. The other one is still studying. So between these two folks, they'll be here. And if our kids are here, there's no point for me to go back to India. Uh, plus, I love this country. You know, it's been a fantastic opportunity for me. You know, one of the key things I'll tell you, right? Typically, if you look at marketing, marketing is perceived to be a slightly more glamorous function. Mm. It has glamour, it has glitz, it has sponsorships, it has fashion, it has got photography, it has got live events. and So it's really, there's a lot of glitz and glamour in the field of marketing. Normally, therefore, they, they the stereotypes that people have in their minds about how a marketing person looks like and behaves like. Go back to 70s, whenever it is, of Mad Men. For the advertising, you had some stereotypes of that. Likewise, they feel a marketer has to be very sophisticated, very polished, very concurrent with his or her fashion and style, very confident and expressive and a socialite and drinks and entertains and all this stuff. I'm a total antithesis to every one of these. I think you're pretty elegant. I've seen you. I've seen I don't you. drink. I don't drink alcohol. I'm a vegan, <laughs> right? And I have a strong Indian accent. I'm bald, so I'm not stylish, uh, nor anything of that sort, right? But this is what I admire both about Mastercard, the company, and USA, the country, which is I have been given this mantle. Yeah, and it's a privilege to be the CMO, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer for a company like MasterCard. It's now a top 10 brand in the world. They gave me the opportunity to build it into that way. And I was supported throughout. And I know one day I was made to feel, oh, this guy is, you know, he doesn't look like that uh, no, top-notch marketing guy. They never went by packaging, external packaging or anything of that sort, right? It is content, the work ethic, the creativity, the innovation, the results, etc., and the leadership. And that's what really matters, right? And at the end of the day, and when you are given that opportunity, you feel very grateful. And therefore, when I particularly see now some of these issues uh, that come up saying that, hey, these immigrants are all uh, horrible guys. They should go away from here. Uh, they're taking away the jobs. of the I haven't taken away the job of any local person out here. I competed. And I was not given it as a you know, philanthropic activity, right? I hope I had earned it. So and, and I'm an honest taxpayer. I'm contributing to the society every which way. And we are creating campaigns which do social good. Like, for example, our partnership with Standard, uh, Stand Up to Cancer, they have already discovered seven drugs for cure of cancer and a methodology for detecting ovarian cancer before it is too late. Look, these are the kind of breakthroughs which have come about through some of the support uh, of MasterCard's marketing activities. Mm. So when you say, therefore, contribution to the society, contribution to the business, contribution to the taxes, contribution to really creating employment, because when you're growing your business, you're creating employment. Exactly. So a whole bunch of things are happening. So therefore, I keep saying, you know, we should put things back in perspective for people. That immigrants are not like, uh, what do you call those, uh, parasites. Uh, right? And, and I'm a prime example of that. My boss you know, when you talk of looks, you know, he's even a turban on his face, uh, on his head. But super brilliant, super competent, a man of golden heart and phenomenal leadership, a visionary, 
one of the top CEOs in terms of if you look at the performance of, of the company over the 10 years. So in that kind of a scenario, this, this has been very good for us. We have been very fortunate, very privileged to have these kind of opportunities. And now it becomes our turn to support other people who are actually having similar aspirations and coming into the country uh, or whichever country they decide to go through. Because you know, in this day and age, we are one planet. In fact, we call it priceless planet. We are one priceless planet. It doesn't matter where you are. And you cannot box people off and say, you don't belong here. No, this is our planet. And we are such a tiny speck of a planet in all that these differences are absolutely not warranted. And I think that's spending our energy on the wrong things. That's a really beautiful message and one that I wholeheartedly agree with. And also, sadly, I feel like we've been moving away from that message in many ways. Um, I recently saw The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix. It's a documentary about how social media essentially creates these bubbles around us and we tend to kind of become more radical in our views because of it. And so I blame that to some extent, but I do think people have become a lot more nationalistic across the board and that saddens me. And I think even more so this conversation is important because of that. Um, so my question, my next question to you is kind of on the back of that, there's all sorts of efforts that companies and organizations are, are creating to drive diversity inside of teams. There's diversity quotas, there's diversity training, etc. Nowhere in these quotas or in any of this training does anyone talk about the importance of immigrants as part of that diversity equation. Why do you think that is and what should we do to change it? See, uh, there are a couple of things, right? Diversity has in itself been evolving. Diversity and inclusion, right? In the, in the beginning, it was essentially focused on gender balance. That is still very valid today, uh, you know, as it was a few years back, because still there is a huge gender gap that we have got. And why? It should not be that way at all. Like, and I keep telling the example of my mom and dad uh, to my team members. Like, my mom was super duper intelligent, much, much more intelligent than my dad. If she had been given the opportunity to really work, she would have been like a Rockefeller. And I, I used to you know, keep joking with her. You know, it's a hugely competent person, but confined at home. Uh, and when I see the people out here uh, in, the, in the world, not just in the United States, right? More than 80% of all day-to-day living decisions for a family are taken by women. More than 80% of all the elderly parents are taken care of by the daughters. So much so, there is a saying, I, don't, I hope I can translate it properly to English. Uh, it's in my mother tongue, Telugu. It says, uh, a daughter is a daughter for life. A son is a son till he finds a wife. Okay, now the point is... Okay. It's, it's really good, it even rhymes. <laughs> yeah, it rhymes. So it, it's, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. It's not meant to, uh, you know, in any way, badly reflect on men. But the point is, 80% of all elderly care is being done by the daughters. Right? And if you look at, uh, it, even in the lower economic category, if you see, well, many of the men, for example, after hard days work, they come back, they drink. And they spend their money off in some you know, uh, toddy shop or whatever it is called. It's the women who take care of the family and raise. So a lot of programs for social inclusion or for a micro entrepreneurship, or it is for employment in companies, or it is in, uh, in terms of how much of money goes through ventures to women entrepreneurs. There is a complete imbalance everywhere. 
and that's that's one area which has been focused uh, you know and it was gaining prominence to some extent that i think has to continue what perform of diversity then when you look at uh, the uh, what you call diversity of uh, races okay for example in this country you got a huge hispanic population but very few companies have got multicultural marketing mm-hmm. right i don't even understand to begin with and everyone is communicated the same way now the key thing is and and the same thing reflects in the workplace so if you have people who do who are not hispanic on your work team they may not understand the nuances of the second generation or the first generation hispanic population in this country as a marketer what are you supposed to do you are supposed to understand the pulse of the market pulse of each segment and that you get it when you have diversity on your team because they are focused on it then they will ask you why not here why not this segment why not this population etc i think that was sort of going on in a little bit of a up and down uh and then you have got uh, now the black lives matter which is a huge issue and i think rightfully so there is attention on this one but interestingly as opposed to to equal opportunities and uh, uh you know equal treatment for everyone including the immigrants i think immigration had become a much more political dialogue and debate as opposed to something where the need is recognized and you are doing something about it here the need is being questioned say the why are these guys there in this country and it's not just united states mind you this is this phenomena is getting prevalent with more nationalistic pride which is silly in many ways because many of the people who have been demonstrating that kind of a nationalistic pride they themselves have been immigrant or their parents or grandparents have been immigrant to this country in some generations right nobody was native as an aboriginal to that particular uh, market or to that particular country or region so the key thing is it's it's unfortunate still it is in i think in the political realm and i think it has to really be brought into the action realm uh, to re- uh, you know it has to be acknowledged right this for example america has been built on immigrants as a nation of course you forget your roots on that right so my point would be to say that uh, there is a lot that needs to be done and i don't think there is enough focus that's being done and i interface with some of the folks like for example the hispanic segment uh, what they are trying to do at least they have got numbers and they are trying to do something about it right uh, but many of the nationalities they're not as they well organized they don't have a voice yeah I want to switch gears a second because I'm actually just curious in, in a bit of your personal story um, when you first left India and how that was. And I'm curious about some of those stories of, you know, um, friction, let's say, cultural friction. And I'm sure you have them because I have so many of them. And I think in many ways my culture was a lot closer to, to the U.S. and I grew up watching some of the movies and so on. So I'd love to hear... some of those examples um because i know that there's going to be a lot of immigrants listening who probably have their own examples and sometimes get discouraged by those moments so you know firstly when you are getting into a new country with a new culture there are bound to be different manifestations of various things of various cultural aspects my first exposure was when i moved from india to dubai culturally totally different the legal system was totally different the main religion practice was totally different and the dressing the language was totally different everything was very very different right what you should understand as an immigrant uh in my as i saw it was firstly you have to be deeply respectful 
of the local culture, uh, local practices, and be a Roman in Rome. So you have to adapt to their culture, right? And, uh, you, and, and it's also there is a joy in learning about other cultures and enriching your uh, you know, experiences in that way. And I walked away from Dubai after seven years, making some of the best friends in my life there. Uh, and also gaining some of the most precious experiences in my life out there. You could not have imagined how different it was at that time, uh, you know, uh, uh, in terms of how India was as a country and how United Arab Emirates were there as a country. There was a lot of disparity between the two on cultural aspects, particularly. And then uh, I, I bridged pretty well. Now, the key thing is when you are confronted with a situation where you feel, oops, this is something which looks at a, not the way I have been used to looking at it or thinking about it, etc. Don't immediately judge. Because that country existed, that culture existed even before you descended there. So be respectful of that. And then understand and see how I got to modify my approach. Because when you're in a culture, you have to fit into that culture. You don't want to start, you don't want to necessarily <clears throat> forget your culture or identity. No, that's not by any means at all, saying that you have to forget everything about yourself. What I'm saying is that there is an adjustment that you have to go through. Like, for example, when I came into this country, uh, you know, I did not have some of the privileges I had in developing countries back home. Like we used to have servants and we used to have, you know, multiple servants because cost of labor was cheap. And hiring a servant was seen not as a luxury, but as providing employment and livelihood to somebody else. So it was a very different lifestyle. So when I come, for example, in the US or even in the UK, I had to do everything myself, washing clothes, washing dishes, everything. So that's a cultural shock for many people, particularly who come from countries like India. And you can say, hey, this is a horrible culture. People wash their own thing. Well, nobody invited you to come here. You came on your own. And if it is something which is unacceptable to you, go back. Or if you're here, adapt yourself and, and see the joy. No, the key thing is when you are out here in any culture, try to understand the local population, their cultures, their practices, and use it as an opportunity to enrich your own experiences uh, and be a part of them. Because if you have decided to be a part of this country, be an integral part of this country without losing your identity. Because I, I deeply am proud of my Indian roots. Uh, and uh, you know I, I feel very proud about it. So I'm not going to forget that I'm uh, from the Indian background and now put on an accent and start speaking like I have never been in India. I was born and brought up here. I don't have to do that to fit in. You can be yourself, but be sensitive and adapt yourself mildly. What advice would you have for Americans who are coming into contact with immigrants who have just gotten to the U.S.? Or if they're hiring an immigrant? I would say three things. First and foremost, remember that this person has left her or his country to come to your country. The culture is you welcome the guest. Understand the uh, personal sacrifices that they would have gone through to be able to make this journey and then come here. Number one. Number two, they are here because they're incredibly talented. Okay, celebrate that talent. Number three, they are very different than you because of the country and the culture that they are coming from is not the same as yours. Celebrate those differences. It again enriches your perspective. It enriches your own culture. It's beautiful. And remember, 
America has been built on immigrants. So that would be my advice. I said, no, so celebrate it. And at the end of the day, I keep coming back to one single thing. I don't know if you have seen this video on that, which is they show the, there is a you know, person in a lawn behind uh, you know, their house. And then the camera keeps going back, 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 back. So the house becomes a neighborhood, the neighborhood, then it becomes the whole city, then the global map, then it becomes uh, the whole earth. It keeps going back, back. And at the end of the day, it is such a minuscule part, even the whole earth. You can't even see it in the bigger scheme of things. And then they bring it back to, it's, it's sort of, in some sense, very revealing to say how tiny and insignificant we are. And this planet is a priceless planet. It's a special, precious planet. And I think all of us have to celebrate you know, uh, this thing and enjoy the time that we are all here and then leave a great legacy for the people to come after us. And that would be my approach. Again, this is not fluffy talk or just... Uh, philosophical you know, nicety. I sincerely believe in it. And I actually at MasterCard, we launched this program. My heart is in it, which we call it Priceless Planet. So, you know, so therefore I'm saying this, uh, you know, yeah, it's just a beautiful world. And I think uh, the diversity is a wonderful aspect. Just imagine, you know, somebody told me, if you go to your garden and everything is exactly like the same flower and there is no variety at all, Versus you have got some plants with this kind of flower, other plants with that kind of flower, there's this animal, that bird, this insect. It makes the whole garden so much more lively, so much more beautiful, as opposed to monotonous, one single kind of animal. So th these are all sort of uh, what you call uh, uh, visualizations that are given to people, but they're true. It's absolutely true. So we should celebrate. I love that, that the, the beauty is in the diversity and that True. needs to be celebrated. I love that. So my last question to you, I think is, I think is a big one. Um, you, you made a note about, you made a comment about um, recognizing how much an immigrant has to leave behind and the personal sacrifices that one has to make. Um, I, I remember vividly the moment I left and I left uh, alone and my parents stayed back and I remember my heart, I'd, I'd never felt pain like that in my chest. And uh, even though I knew I would see them again, I, I knew that something would forever change. That moment would forever change my life, their life, and so on. So uh, it's hard, especially during COVID, to, to feel like I cannot go back. Um, and it reminds me of not only uh, what I gave up to be here, but also um, that my identity is really a blend of all these different uh, places I've lived in and, and people uh, who have raised me in many different ways. So my question to you with that context is, how has your identity as an immigrant evolved from the moment you left India? And do you feel like you left anything behind when you left? Yeah, see, I think leaving your country and going to a different country is not very easy, right? It's a very big life decision. So you're leaving everything familiar. You're leaving your network behind. You're leaving your uh, near and dear people behind in the country. And uh, you're consciously going uh, because it's a decision that you have taken uh, and you want to, you have got certain objectives that you want to accomplish in your life. So it's on one hand, you are driven by the purpose. And the other hand, you feel uh, the loss of those connections uh, in, a, in a big way. Uh, whether it could be simple things like, you know, having dinner with your parents or with your immediate family members or, or your friends you have grown up with. Uh, 
they're, they're all beautiful moments, right? You're giving up all that because you say, I've got this purpose and I want to accomplish this in life. And then you go forth. Uh, and fast forwarding this, now I left India in 1994, I believe. So almost now 26 years, 27 years. So in this period, if I have to look back, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about though uh, about different cultures, different people, different countries, different industries, different product categories, and different technologies. It's been a humongous amount of growth for me. Could I have grown in India too? Absolutely, I would have grown. But this is something which is much more, uh, I would say, a global perspective, uh, which I really cherish on the one hand. Number two, I also have to learn. I also had learned the art of bridging uh, and shifting frequencies uh, from operating in a developed market with a particular culture to now being truly multicultural and multi-geography and on a global platform or on a global and all scale. It's just very different. And I think that's, that sort of uh, grew me into a much uh, uh, you know, uh, better person on the one hand uh, and much more uh, wise. Uh, you know, and you also realize the commonalities across the world. You, you realize the aspirations, the fears, the desires, the apprehensions. I don't want it exactly the same, right? We are identical to people, and people all behave like exactly you know, uh, how they behave in some other country. The nuances and the cultural manifestations are different, and understanding that to me is fun because as a marketer, you have to understand those cultural sensitivities to be able to communicate in that context. And now when we talk of running campaigns, for example, in 110 countries, I feel like absolutely at home. And I can flip like that from one culture to another culture to another culture. <laughs> that, that's, that's really fascinating, right? Like more recently, for example, just one manifestation of this, when we launched our Sonic brand, right? Sonic brand, I wanted it to be very native to every region and every country. It should not be like made in the USA, and thrust down people's throats in other markets. It had to feel very native and original to every place. So when we identified the right melody and when it was being created, you know, it was such a level of unique uh, appreciation of the differences in the, in the manifestation, but the commonalities and the fundamentals and the principles. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I, I feel a much enriched person. And it has been very rewarding to me, you know, how many people can be fortunate enough to have inherited one of the top brands in the world and be able to build it thereafter, thanks to the company, thanks to my team, thanks to my agencies, into your top 10 brand in the world, right? And when, when case studies are being written about the work that we have done here and we are doing here at MasterCard, by Harvard Business School or Yale School of Management and being taught across some 60, 70 universities around the world, that's a fantastic feeling. And uh, so I think, uh, overall, I would say that this is a journey that I'm so happy and <clears throat> sorry and so thrilled that I have taken. I would not trade it off. If I had to redo it, I'll do it all over again. <laughs> well, that's an amazing note to end on. Thank you so much, Raja. You're an inspiration for a lot of us immigrants. And I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and feel like they're on the right track. So thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you very much for having me and stay safe. And I'll talk to you soon. Join us again next time for another episode of Opportunity Makers, where we profile top immigrants and showcase how they are opportunity makers, not opportunity takers. Mm-hmm.